right. Welcome in. Welcome back to another Dog Days of Summer edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. We're almost there, people. Football is in the air. NFL training camps have started. People, people are starting to... To, and even in Illinois, if you just a little hint of fall in those crisp mornings, I'm playing golf really early. There's just this something about something about it tells me falls right around the corner here. Football's almost here. So we just got to get through a few more weeks. So that being said, let's take care of the proppers. And then I got a couple things I got to I got to talk about, inform you guys about, and then we'll, we will move on with the show. So let's get the boring stuff out of the way. Obviously, you can find me YouTube, Always Irish, you know that. Twitter, type in Always Irish or at JKZND4. You, most of you know that iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever you like, feel free to like, subscribe, share, review. The reviews really help. So if you do like the show, drop a kind word on, on iTunes uh, describing the show, what makes it different. I appreciate that. It helps us move forward uh, in a big way. And I appreciate everybody who's getting their always Irish swag packs in the mail, sending me pictures and videos. And you know what I realize? A lot of people have some awesome Notre Dame stuff in their homes, like their little Notre Dame man cave or whatever you want to call it, their little Notre Dame shrine. So I appreciate everybody who sent me pictures of them drinking and using the koozie uh, and of their Notre Dame tours of their Notre Dame shrine and everything. And uh, quite frankly, I'm honored to have my stuff uh, sat next to some of that really important Notre Dame stuff. Um, so thank you to everybody. If you didn't get yours yet, everything's out in the mail. So you should be receiving your packet shortly. That being said, let's let's get into it here. So here's the first thing is next week, I'm going to be with family in Florida. I am taking a vacation and I'm going to be off the grid. There is not going to be a Always Irish show next week. Uh, I'm taking a week off. I'm going to the beach. Uh, it's, it's the last break before we get into football season hard and heavy. Okay, so there will be no show next week. However, however, you can't think I'm going to let you hang in with no content. I would you know me. I'm not going to do that to you. So I got something for you. This morning, I had the pleasure of joining Bruce Hope in Jacksonville, Florida, for his podcast, The Format. And what we did is I called into his show and we talked about Notre Dame football for an hour straight. Bruce asked me a bunch of questions. We covered a wide range of topics regarding this team. And so here's what I think you should do. If you're going to listen to this show now this week, maybe put Bruce's show aside as a filler for next week. So you're still going to have an hour of Always Irish. It just isn't my show. And in a lot of ways, I do like, I like this because... I like when people are asking me questions because sometimes it's nothing that I, some things I don't prepare for. I have to kind of think on the fly or I get surprised by a question. And, and it's a good way to get to get some just first blush answers on, on different things. And so that's what I would recommend. Listen to this show this week. And then next week, the same time you usually listen to my show, look up Bruce Hope. The format is the name of the podcast. And we did a full hour. So so I would listen to that next week, and that'll get you through the week. Uh, I'm going to be on vacation not doing the show. 
So here's the deal for, for this episode. This is really the last episode where we're going to talk in vagaries, um, just some general college football stuff, um, it, just some not X's and O's specific type things, because here's the deal. We're going to have this show, then I'm going to be gone for a week, then we're going to be coming back, and then once camp hits, then it's hard and heavy actual football talk, and I can't tell you how excited I am to just be able to talk about actual football stuff. I just start to get, I feel cooped up in my own mind when we have summer and we keep talking about all these topics, but there's no action on the field for me to see where what we talk about stands. Is it, is it what we thought? Is it better than what we thought? Is it worse than what we thought? We don't have those answers yet and it's starting to drive me a little crazy. And, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to hit some of these vague topics, um, broad brush type stuff for pretty much the last time. And then it's going to be hard and heavy into the actual football season we've all been waiting for, we're all excited for, and that we're going to break down. So that's going to be the plan. And so some of today, some of this is some overall tone setting stuff. Uh, I don't know if I was just in a weird mood or, or whatnot, but I saw a few things out on the interwebs over the weekend that I had strong reactions to, and I kind of thought about it. And we've been picking up some new listeners. And, and I think it's important that before we get into the season, I establish where I fall on some of these topics uh, for some of the new people that have just, just found us recently or, or whatnot. And, and just some basic flat level starting point Notre Dame fan stuff of where we're at now and my thoughts on some some certain topics we're going to get into. And, and so there's just some baseline things I want to establish as far as our Notre Dame football mindset as we enter this camp and, and get into this season. And so we're going to go over some of that stuff today. I, I just think it's important and, and we need to establish where we're starting from because really that's important. As we get into the season, we need to know the mentality we're starting from because that frames the way we look at the way the season unfolds. And so it's important to me that you guys know where I'm at in my headspace going into all this. And so we're, we're going to hit it. Let, let's get into it, shall we? So here's the, the first note. And, and I... Maybe I'm just a jerk, but uh, it, it came across, I think, yesterday or this morning. It was made a big deal that the, the Notre Dame-Louisville game at Louisville, uh, Louisville announced that it's a, quote, blackout game versus Notre Dame. And they put out a tweet, and it was, you know, a big deal. This is going to be a blackout game. And uh, I uh, here's my reaction to that. I, I who Who cares? Like I, 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 oh, John, you're a jerk. Like, we're, are we getting into this tradition thing from last week again? Oh, it's a blackout. So what? Who? Oh, I'm scared now. Like, what do I? What do you want me to? What's my reaction supposed to be? That you're asking, you know, Joe Blow that's getting off his couch to come to the game to wear a black T-shirt that night. What? What do you want me to react to that? 
Like, I, I don't know what to say. Who cares? The only thing that I'm concerned about a blackout is if this game's close at all, I'm going to blackout. That's really the only thing that's blackout that I care about. If we don't beat this team by four scores, I'm going to blackout. I can guarantee you that. So I, I don't know what your reaction to, to Louisville having a blackout. Big deal. Who cares? Honestly, who cares? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that changes. I, I, I don't. I, I just don't get it. So uh, they're going to wear black jerseys and then tell the crowd to wear black T-shirts. Well, whoop de freaking do. Seriously, your, your program's a dumpster that's on fire right now. I, I don't think these black shirts are going to help you, but if you want to do it and promote it, go for it. But I, I'm not trying to be jaded or be a jerk, but I, I hear this and it was like, okay, like what, what do I care? It's just like having 62-year-old Metallica members talking and giving a speech before Virginia Tech runs in to their rock and roll song. And where'd that get them? A loss. Okay, so I, I don't, I just don't, I, I don't, I don't care. It's like, that's what I'm saying. So have fun with your blackout, but it doesn't change nothing to me. Like, I mean, I guess, what is it, like a sense of pride that all these teams were playing or planning something because Notre Dame's coming to town? Like, I, I just, I'm not uh, entertained or amused by, I really don't care. Go there and kick the crap out of them by four scores. Is this, That's just all there is to it. That's it. And if it's anything other than that, I'm going to be the one doing the blacking out. So that's all I have to say on that. I don't have some, I don't have any other thoughts on it. It just doesn't do much for me. And that leads me into one of my first little mini topics here. Uh, everybody knows we've been talking about Notre Dame getting to that next level. How can Notre Dame compete and beat these elite level teams that, that undoubtedly have more talent and, and a deeper roster, more athleticism? Um you know, and, and George is obviously the first one that comes to mind. And by the way, that's that's not – it shouldn't be like a stretch for anybody, right? Like, like we all love Notre Dame. Most of us here love Notre Dame. That's our team. But I don't think I'm going out on a limb looking at the way they've recruited the last few years and then saying that they have more depth and overall athleticism than Notre Dame. I, I don't think that's a disputable fact. That doesn't mean Notre Dame can't find a way to win this ball game, but I think it's important that you objectively sit back and just admit they have a deeper, more athletic roster. They just do. That's just a fact, okay? And if you don't think it is, I would tell you you're not paying close enough attention to what you're seeing and to recruiting because that's just a fact, okay? But aside from the obvious you know, Brian Kelly has to find a way to get over the hump and beat some of these elite teams that he has struggled to do so far. That's one step of Notre Dame taking the next step from good or very good, crashing that ceiling and, and being at the bottom level of great, okay? But there's another side to it too. And the other thing that Notre Dame needs to be better at is they need to start destroying inferior teams more consistently. That's another 
barometer we need to look at of if we're getting to that level or not. Okay, we we can't be in the mid-third quarter and we don't know if we're going to beat Ball State or Vanderbilt or Wake Forest. Like, that can't be our situation anymore. If you are who you think you want to be and that Notre Dame fans want us to be, you got to start kicking the crap out of these inferior teams. You can't be having it hanging in the balance in the middle of the third quarter. No, it can't be. If you're even close to taking that next step, you need to kick the crap out of the teams you should kick the crap out of. Now, every team's going to have a game or two where things don't go their way or they're a little off and it's and it's unexpectedly close. I understand that. I understand that in a football season, pretty much everybody's going to have those, even the big dogs and the elite. Okay, so I'm fine with that. But teams like Louisville, Teams like New Mexico, teams like Bowling Green, these are teams that Notre Dame needs to beat by four scores or more. They just do. So that's something else that I want you guys to look for early this year. Because if you got any dreams about going down to Athens and beating Georgia, I don't think it's going to happen if you play half-assed football against these inferior teams in the beginning of the year. I think that's a sign you got problems if we're going to have trouble against uh, Louisville and, and Bob Davey, okay? Seriously, Bob Davey. And then you got Brian Van Gorder coming in with Bowling Green. If you have trouble with these teams, forget Georgia. You don't need to worry about Georgia if you're struggling with these teams and these coaching staffs. If you can't destroy them, you ain't going to go down to Athens and make any moves. Come on. And, and so that's easy for me to say. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously you don't want to lose a dumb game because then your season's pretty much over. Like, obviously that's the case. But there's nuance inside of this notion that has a cumulative effect over these games and over these weeks. And it's like, John, what do you mean? Like, you know, it's more than just we don't want to lose to Ball State and then the season's over and you lost to Ball State and that's embarrassing, okay? I'm talking about nuance such as you want to get a huge lead so midway through the third quarter, you can rest your best players so they can build up more energy for bigger games where they're going to have to play the whole game. If you also are able to do that, it eliminates the risk that some of your starters are going to get injured because they're not out there to get injured. They're sipping Gatorade in the fourth quarter. They're not out there risking it. Their job is to go in there and secure a win. Once that's done, there's no reason to have them in. Okay? Then, three, if these, if Khalid Kareem could sit out, okay, it gives other guys a chance to get experience and to prove themselves. Ian Book can come out. He's not. We're not risking our starting quarterback getting banged up. The game's already in hand. And then you know what you could do? You could see what Phil looks like under the actual bright lights of a real ball game. Not the blue and gold game. Not these practices. Real game time. So... When you look at it, it's more than just we don't want to dick around and lose to Ball State and be embarrassed. It's more than that. 
All these other factors I talked about are cumulative. They all help you not wear down later. They put you in a situation where your backups can play. So then when it is a tight game in the fourth quarter and a guy gets hurt, those guys aren't going in with no experience and no confidence because they played in real ball games and made plays. They're more comfortable on that stage. And so those are the kind of things I think about. Notre Dame needs to start blowing these teams out. And I'm not trying to disrespect any of these other squads or coaching staffs. I'm just saying when you look at some of these rosters and some and, and where some of these programs are at overall, there is no reason Notre Dame should be in tight games with some of these clubs. No. I'm not talking about USC. I'm not talking about Michigan. I'm not talking about Georgia. I'm not talking about Stanford. These programs where you know they have decent talent and pretty decent coaching. Well, not USC, but they got a lot of talent, okay? And even Jim Harbaugh, he's not a terrible coach. He's just not elite, okay? And, and so that's what another thing we need to look for. Obviously, we all want to beat Georgia and prove we could beat an elite team, but Blowing out some of these other teams so that you can get your starters out, not risk injury, let them rest, let other guys get reps. That's all important. And then when you get into these November games, guys have a little more gas in the tank. That's important. It's one of the next steps I want to see Notre Dame make and take, if possible. You got to be good enough to do it. Are we good enough to do it? You're going to find out soon enough. Moving on, this is something that I talked about before when it first happened. It came up again yesterday online on Twitter, and I kind of had a little miniature rant about it. And I want to establish firmly my position on this and why, as we enter the season, I think it's relevant. And it came up again yesterday. And I don't mean... Didn't mean to be a jerk to the the person, the account that wrote this, but I just can't handle it, and and I just kind of went off. And so here's what what it's in regards to. There there's uh, somebody well intentioned, a college football account, and they said that yesterday they were rewatching the Notre Dame Clemson game, and the game looked so much closer upon this review than it did in the score of thirty to three. And if this wouldn't have happened, it would have been closer. And if that wouldn't have happened, it would have been closer. And if Julian Love didn't go down, totally different ball game. And uh, the, the one that really got me was, <laughs> I get what they were trying to do. I get what they were trying to do. But they said in a tweet, if you take the six sacks out of that game, the, the running game actually looked pretty decent. But you have to, if you take the six sacks out. And, and then I blew my stack. You can't take the six sacks out. That tells the story of the ball game. There is no, if you just remove the six sacks and looks at everything else that happened, the game was close. Sacks change ball games. We gave up six of them. It happened. So how can you tell me in my mind to just take it out and look at the game? You can't. You can't. Because they happened, and those are game-changing plays. And it happened to us six times in that ball game. That's unacceptable. Oh, John, Clemson's got all pro defensive line. I know that. I know that. You earned your way into that ball game. 
it's incumbent upon you to compete. And so, here's where I'm going with this. Here's where I'm going with this. I think the idea here is to try and illustrate that the gap between Notre Dame and these elite teams isn't as vast as it used to be. And so the, the overall point that people who do this exercise are trying to make is to show ways that the gaps close between the Notre Dame and Alabama in 2012, where it was just an absolute physical mismatch, men versus boys, from second one, not even didn't even deserve to be on the same field as them. And then you got Ohio's the Ohio State big bowl game there where where it, it was got ugly and then Jalen Smith that that whole thing happened and, and whatever and then Clemson. And the overall idea is I think for people, fans, Notre Dame fans, to try and feel better about this than what the 30 to 3 score is. And I I get that, but I also think it's dangerous. I really do think it's dangerous. I look, I look at this at an oddly similar parallel that I do to when I did not like Jim Harbaugh saying, yeah, Urban Meyer's a big winner, but everywhere he goes, you know, controversy follows. Okay. Now, what Harbaugh said is absolutely factually accurate and true. That is not the part I have a problem with. The part I have a problem with is some things that are true, it doesn't make it okay or the right thing to do for you to say it. And so the parallel here is, while in a lot of ways I do think Notre Dame's in a lot better place to compete with these teams, with a real strength and conditioning coach and all and the training table and uh, the overall uh, talent on the roster has been upgraded significantly, I agree with all of that. I do. Those are real things. But you still lost 30 to 3 on the big stage in front of everybody when we were all saying all year we deserved a playoff spot. 30 to 3 was still the score. And so you got to look at this not as a Notre Dame fan, but from the outside. From the outside, nobody wants to hear Notre Dame fans. Crying and saying, oh, ignore that 30 to 3. The game was so much closer than that. Nobody wants to hear that from Notre Dame fans. It makes us look weak. 30 to 3 is 30 to 3. Just own it. Just own it. Okay? And and so, you know, here's the thing. It's like, well, look at what happened right when Julian Love got knocked out. And if he didn't get knocked out, it would have been different. Well, couple things here. One is Julian Love doesn't have anything with the offense that struggled to get anything going most of the game. Okay, so that doesn't answer that. And here's number two. If you want to play and win a championship, is it sacrilege for me to suggest possibly that if you have a cornerback get injured, you have a competent backup that can come in and not get toasted 24-7? Why, why is that not being said? Why, what, what is it? Am I that wrong for suggesting that if you think you're even in the same breath as the teams that are in it for a championship, God forbid you have a backup who won't get toasted 24-7 the second your starter goes down? That's a part of being a champion is having that kind of quality depth so that there's not that huge drop-off and the second love goes out, 
They target his replacement 24-7, and it's touchdown, 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 touchdown. Okay? So maybe that's the indicator you're not that damn close. Have a quality backup ready. And then you had the fact, the angle of this, that Clemson ended up beating Alabama by a bigger margin than they beat Notre Dame. And then that emboldened the people that like this narrative more to say, well, everybody thought Alabama was great. Look what Clemson did to them. That should make us feel better. You guys, 30, you have to own it. It was 32-3. You know, everybody wants to give Michigan fans a hard time talking about yard points and stuff like that and them finding all these areas they're dominant, but they're not winning the big games. This is no different. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just own the 30 to 3. That was the score, okay? And I always try and find ways to circle back the things Notre Dame fans talk about and see how they practically translate to the actual team. And here's the problem I have with this argument intellectually. I've heard this. When I pushed back on this before and just said, you know what? If you want to say you think the talent gap's not as big as it was in 2012, I'll agree with that, but just leave it at that. Until we prove something and beat one of these elite teams, just just pump the brakes on this a little bit because it makes us look kind of silly. Okay? 30 to 3 is 30 to 3. But here's the, the real narrative I have a problem with. When I push back on that, I've had people say back to me, John, don't you think it's important that our players think and hear and read that that we're closer than, than we were and that 30-3 to 3 wasn't as bad as the score, so that'll make them feel better and have confidence that they can compete? And isn't that important for them to hear? You know, that kind of thing. Hell no. This is about you, Mr. Needy Notre Dame fan. This is about you feeling better about it, not the team. So I'm not going to let you use that angle. This is selfishly about you. You trying to feel better about it. Because here's why. You don't think those smart Notre Dame players that have been playing football their whole life, you don't think they know where they stood in that game? Now, you're not going to hear them talking much about what you're saying. You know, I don't think it was that bad. They, they got beat 30-3 to and they're owning it. But the players know more than us fans on Twitter and Facebook whether they got totally whooped in their one-on-one matchups or if they were competitive in that game. The players know more than you do. So they know in their hearts. These players aren't dumb. They know when they get on a field and the game's going on whether they can hang or not. They know. Okay, so this is about you. The players don't need this from you to fluff up 30-3 to and make it sound better than it was. The players don't need that. They know where they stand. And the ones that could compete know they were hanging tough in their matchups. And the ones who couldn't know that too. So don't get it twisted. That's a cop-out. Admit this is about you and your feelings. You want to feel like we're closer than 30-3. to The team doesn't need you to fluff them up and say that. They know. They know where they stood. 
you know, but but when you get into this, you know, well, if you just take the six sacks away, the rushing yardage is actually pretty good. You can't take six sacks away because they happened. This is an alternate universe you're creating. That's not objective reality of what we saw. And so I just, I just think it's dangerous. If you want to just say, we think we've closed the gap of talent a little bit and strength and conditioning, fine, I'll agree with it, leave it at that. But when you go deeper than that, I got I call timeout and I got a problem with it. Okay. I I, I just do. I just do. I it's just makes us look weak. Own 30 to 3 and be better. You know, it's just there's so many games where Notre Dame fans just end up if this, if that, if this, and would that bounce there, this injury here. This one play there, this bad call at Florida State, this, there's always some what if, if this, if that, if this, not that. Why can't we just go out and win a big game and then not have to answer any questions because we won? What about that? So I, I just, the mental gymnastics to make the fan base feel better bothers me. It just does. Now, having this discussion is a natural lead-in to talking about the Georgia game. And here's the thing. Now, this is intellectually tricky. And that's one big thing on this show that I always try and do is challenge our collective Notre Dame mindset. Challenge the status quo of how we think about things. Try and make you think of it from a different angle, okay? And so what I'm going to get into next is a little bit intellectually tricky to navigate, but I'm confident all of you are smart enough you're going to be able to follow it, okay? So here, here it is. Follow me here. So looking at this Georgia game, it seems like most people are kind of penciling that in as a loss. And if I had to pick the game, and when we get closer to the game, I'm picking Notre Dame to lose. Why Why wouldn't I? What have I seen that makes me confident more than 50% that we're going to go down there and, and beat a team with more talent than us? I don't have that confidence. I want it to be true. But that doesn't mean I'm going to pick Notre Dame just because I want them to win every game. That's stupid. That's being intellectually dishonest to myself. But so here's the part of this, okay? No, I'm not picking Notre Dame to go down there and win. They haven't proven that they can do that yet. What's the last big road game we won we weren't supposed to win? I would contend it's Oklahoma 2012. That's a lot of years ago. That's a lot of years ago. Okay? So don't blame me that I don't have that confidence. It's upon them to give it to me by their results. That being said, here's the issue I have. No, I'm not picking us to win. Prove it first. But penciling in a loss, like when you're just playing the game of going down the schedule, win-loss, win-loss, Penciling in a loss is one thing. Accepting it blindly and not being upset about it is a totally different thing. 
Are you following me here intellectually? That's what's kind of getting on my nerves here. A lot of people are penciling in that Georgia loss, but they're doing so and just kind of saying, yeah, they're pretty darn good. We're going down there at night, and so we're probably going to lose, and it's fine. It's whatever. You know, we'll go 10-2, and two and that's fine. And I, that's the part I don't like. More people should be saying, after 10 years of Brian Kelly, why are we penciling in a loss? Why are most people doing that? And is that okay? You should be annoyed and frustrated that we're in a position that we have to kind of pencil it in and figure we would probably lose. Just looking at roster talent, looking at the quarterback talent. Okay? And so I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I'm kind of penciling us to lose that game, but at least I'm pissed about it. I don't just blindly accept it and say, oh, it is what it is. It's another good team on the schedule. We'll just take that L and keep it moving to the next week. So that's, I think, where it gets a little intellectually tricky. Too many people around this program are kind of saying, yeah, that's a tough task. And they're saying it in a way that they're not going to be mad if it happens and we lose. There's a difference. I would think after 10 years, if Notre Dame kept a coach around 10 years, that we wouldn't be in a position to automatically pencil in an L and just kind of accept it and keep moving. So I'll pencil in the L as of right now, but I'm at least pissed about it. And so I don't know if I expressed that clearly enough, but I, I just hope you guys can see that disconnect that, that I'm saying. Like when I run it through and have a feeling we're probably going to lose that game, uh, that's painful and very upsetting and angers me. I don't do it casually, just saying, oh, there's Georgia at night in Athens. That's a loss. Oh, well, we'll just keep it moving. Nine and three would be great. Don't do that. There's nothing wrong with expecting us to win big games after 10 years on the job. Okay? Don't lose sight of that. It's important. And this leads me to my next point, and it's related to that discussion that we just had. And I think this is very important as we go into the year, and I want to make sure you all know exactly where I fall on this upcoming topic. And this is not, I'm sure it isn't the first time it's come up on this show, but it's come up again. And, and what that is, is I am really, really sick of these, quote, diehard Notre Dame fans or diehard fans of any team who are just going to blindly pick the team they root for to win every game just because just because it's I love Notre Dame and so I'm picking them to win Georgia and then if you don't they look at you as a hater they look at you as a negative Nancy they look at you as a fair weather fan they look at you as just somebody who wants to be contrarian just to do it, okay? All of these accusations have been levied upon me from time to time, okay? But the problem with this is these people who think that to be a super fan or to be a good fan and supporter of a program, you have to say they're going to win no matter what blindly just to get behind them that you have to do that to be a good fan. I don't understand that mindset. 
To me, the people who do that are not fans at all. Those are mindless, weak, spineless, sheep in a herd, just lemmings, just total, total fanboys, just in outer space. These are people that are either not smart enough or are incapable or unwilling to separate their fandom from an objective look at reality and what's going on. These people are weak-minded lemmings, and I give them no respect. They are not fans at all. They are the opposite of fans. It makes no sense. The inability to separate your fanhood from objective reality is not endearing. It doesn't make you a diehard. It just makes you stupid. It makes you simple-minded. And it really ends up hurting the collective of the entire program over the long haul in the way that if enough dumb people think like this, you never end up really challenging what's going on in the program or, or finding ways to improve. Or Because if you're just blindly going to pick Notre Dame to win every game, that tells me you're not really analyzing the numbers or what the gameplay actually looks like. It, it just tells me you're along for the ride and your wishful thinking is what you're going to go with to get through a season. And that is just the weakest way to be a, quote, fan that I could think of. It does not make me less of a fan that I critically take a look at these rosters and say, yeah, that Georgia game scares me just based on the talent and the fact that it's down there at night and that's a big deal. But I've had people say, oh, John, you're a hater. You're, you're a fair weather fan. You're not, you're not even getting to the game and you're picking them to lose. What are you saying? What are you saying? That every year you look at a schedule, you pick Notre Dame to go 12-0, and 0, and then they lose half of them one year, and then the next year you pick them to go 12-0? and 0? What kind of sports fan are you if you pick your team to win every single game? All the time. Now, you might be able to make a case for that if you're like Alabama at their peak run or whatever. Like, that's different. But I'm just talking about regular teams, not that kind of super team type of deal. But I know a lot of these people, and then they just say that I'm not a real fan because I objectively look at these fact patterns and the history and the numbers and the rosters. And, 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 and you think I like picking against Notre Dame? I hate picking against Notre Dame, but it's, if it's what my mind says, that trumps what my heart wants because I'm not an idiot. And I have the intellectual maturity to separate my fanhood and my soul and my heart and everything that goes with loving Notre Dame and objectively looking at the situation in front of me and being worried about it, okay? So... To me, these people really aren't fans at all. They tend to be among the least educated group of, of Notre Dame fans. Uh, and just don't give these people the time of the day. They, they're, they're either too dumb or just unwilling to objectively look at, at facts because their heart tells them something. And those are just weak-minded people that I don't have time for. So don't let anybody go that route with you and tell you that if you have questions about this team and want to find areas of deficiency where we have to improve, that that makes you a bad fan. It does not. 
All right, how about a funny note that I saw from over the weekend? I don't know why, but somehow somebody asked Brian Kelly what he thinks about Clay Helton at USC. And Brian Kelly said, oh, he's a great man and a great coach. I hope he stays at USC for a long time. Yeah, I bet you do, Brian Kelly. Like, nobody can see through that one. He knows he's got his number, and it's it's the best chance that he's had in a long time to own USC. So I would hope Brian Kelly is giving him all sorts of praise. And I'll say about USC what I've been saying about USC. You want USC to fall in that sweet spot this year. Not good enough to matter and beat you, but not bad enough that they run Helton out of town. So I don't know where that falls, like if it's 9-3 and three or 8-4, and four, or where their bar is. And how close they are to firing him. But that's where, as a Notre Dame fan, you should want USC to reside is just in that sweet spot. Not good enough to be a threat. Not bad enough to burn it all down and get a real coach. Or, God forbid, Urban Meyer. And then you'll never beat him again until he has another stroke and retires again. So that... that <laughs> I just saw that on Twitter, and it just made me laugh. And I'm just thinking, yeah, I bet you want him to stick around. <laughs> what Notre Dame fan doesn't? Um, here's something that I just popped into my mind. You know, you you see online now, all everybody's got a prediction. You know, their preseason top 25. Everybody's got an idea where they're ranking these teams and all this stuff. Here's the reality, guys. If you honestly look at it, there should be no college football rankings until about weeks four to six. I think I'd be fine after everybody's got, you know, four or five games in to then look at who's played who and how they looked and rank the teams accordingly. Can anybody tell me a, an argument against that? The only one, the only reason that there are preseason college football rankings is to sell shit. Tell me there's another reason. It makes no practical sense to rank these teams before anybody has played anybody. Does it? The only reason is to sell magazines and to sell subscriptions on websites. And so that when there's a commercial on ESPN halfway through August, they want to promote whatever game's coming up that first weekend. And if they see two single-digit numbers next to those teams, it's going to bring rankings up. That's the only reason. There's preseason rankings. It's all about money. I think a much fairer way to do it is to wait through weeks four and six. Take a look. And don't just take a look at record after weeks four to six or whatever. Take a look at who's played who. People who have played nobody. Guess what? You're not getting ranked high because you didn't prove it by beating anybody good yet. What's wrong with that? If you're that good, you're going to rise throughout the year anyways, right? Maybe that would be a way to promote people to start scheduling bigger non-conference games or more people to schedule good non-conference games early in the year. So that's just my thought on it. The, the only reason that these rankings exist is for money, for TV ratings, to ramp up these upcoming games, people to buy your magazines, that kind of thing. But there's no reason to have these rankings until people played a handful of games. Oh, boy. This this came up. And I just, I just kind of cringe when I read this. Um, because I just kind of think 
these kind of games are a little below Notre Dame. Always trying to be classy and above board and and so what I'm going to talk about next it, it just it it made me cringe a little bit when I first read it and it just comes off a little cheap to me and I don't like it but I understand it I just kind of would like to think Notre Dame's a little above this and what I'm referring to is they recently opened up the single game ticket purchasing for home Notre Dame games if you want to get in that, you know, uh, get your name in the hopper so you could buy tickets for these home games. And I already talked about on one of the other shows. It's not a secret. Notre Dame is having trouble selling all their tickets for some of these home games. Now, I know it's not Notre Dame's fault that the biggest games of the year this year are all away. You're at Athens. You're at the big house. You're at Stanford. Okay? I understand. That's just the way it worked out. But what that does to the home slate is, I mean, what is it? USC? And and what else do you got? Yeah, Virginia's a trap game. Everybody knows that, but it's still Virginia. Okay, people aren't flocking to drive from God knows where to see Virginia. They're just not. Okay? And Virginia Tech, it's like, okay, whatever. Boston College, whatever. Like, okay, yeah, Bowling Green, ooh, boy. Like, so we're in a situation where, to me, USC is, is the home game, okay? That's the one I'm planning to go to. Maybe Virginia, too, because I got some other things cooking for Virginia that I want to do and people I want to see. But as far as the actual games, it's USC at home, okay? So the university knows that. So you can't just buy... Put your name in the, the hopper, and then and then if you get drawn, buy Notre Dame USC tickets. You got to donate $100 to the Rockne Fund and purchase tickets to Boston College and Bowling Green to even be in the mix to get USC tickets. I get it. I understand what they're doing. I understand why they're doing it. I just think you're starting to squeeze Notre Dame fans pretty tight, okay? I mean, it was one thing with the stadium renovation and the changing of the, the ticket situation where my good seats I used to have a pipeline to that were 150 for a big game instantly doubled. Now they're 300. That's a big jump. What am I getting extra out of that? It's the same seat I had the year before. It's just double the price. Nothing's changed. You're not offering me any anything new. The price has just doubled. Now, here's the thing. I don't matter. And I know I don't matter. Because forever, it, what, what's it going to do for me to go, there's my line. You doubled my ticket access from 150 to 300 for big games. I'm out. I can't afford it or I don't want to pay it. You know, whatever your whatever your situation is. That squeeze me out price-wise or I just refuse to pay it even though I have the money. It doesn't matter because there's some rich guy next in line that doesn't care and has the money and he's going to spend it. So I don't claim that I matter or should matter or anything. I know that I don't. I know that. All I'm saying is I saw this headline and I just thought, really, like that's what we're doing here 
Like we're squeezing our own people that already pay $100 for an Under Armour golf shirt and that we're squeezing them this much more. Not only do you have to buy tickets to Bowling Green and BC, but you also have to donate $100 on top of it. Then you could maybe buy these USC tickets. Come on. I just think you're squeezing us a little tight and it's a little tacky and it rubs me the wrong way. You know what? It sounds like something that it sounds like something you would do if you were a smaller level school and like nobody comes to your home games unless Notre Dame's there and then you make them buy. Like, I get that. But for Notre Dame, you know people are going to be in those seats regardless. And I just think you're squeezing people a little bit. And I just think it's a tacky look. I understand it, but it's still tacky and I don't like it. <clears throat> it reminds me of, uh, when was it? A bunch of years ago, and I forget who it was. It might even be Northwestern. But a while ago, people were talking about, and when I lived in Evanston, I was closer to this situation but the talk was that, like, if compared to paying sometimes what it costs to go to these Notre Dame games, that if Notre Dame was going to go to Northwestern, it would almost be cheaper to just buy season tickets to Northwestern and get Notre Dame included than it would be just to buy Notre Dame tickets for Northwestern at Notre Dame. Right? Like, that's the disparity. And I understand Notre Dame is what it is, and I get it. And a lot of the fan base has a lot of money. And if people get priced out, it doesn't matter. The next guy or corporation will come in and buy the tickets. I know all that. I know all that. I get that it's just business. It's just, it just hits me being a little, a little tacky. That's all. People just want to go to USC. Let them just sign up for USC. And if so many people do it, the ones who don't get tickets for that might say, I still want to bring my kid to the game. Let's go to the Virginia game. Because not everybody wants it's going to be able to get the USC tickets. So they'll end up going to another game because it's better than going to no game with their family. Right? So what do I know? I know nobody cares what I think. They shouldn't care what I think. I just, I just think it's a bit much. All right. Before we get into our always annoyed segment of the week, I got one more point. And it's a follow-up to something I said a couple shows ago. And I feel like we got a little bit of confirmation from the coaching staff on this. Uh, and what I was talking about was if these special teams are going to be unreliable, um, which the coverages and return games already are to me anyways, as long as Brian Polian's in charge of them. I have no problem with him as recruiter. I have no problem with him as recruiting coordinator. He's actually doing a very good job at that. But the special team's performances leave a lot to be desired. Even in decent years for Notre Dame, they're not good enough, okay? So that's that's just first. But what I was saying is, if you're not going to be able to trust this punter and the new kicker to make field goals and the punter to flip field position and corner teams and do what he needs to do, I said, screw it. Just go for it on fourth down then. Just, just don't put us in the situation to let one of these kids lose a big game for us. I would rather just trust Ian Book and go for it on fourth down. That was my opinion a couple weeks ago. I was listening to one of the other Notre Dame podcasts. I think it was Irish Sports Daily, something like that. Maybe Blue and Gold. 
something. And these are people who actually have access to the coaches and to practices and all that stuff. And they were kind of saying from talking to the staff, they get they got a gut feeling that the staff itself is preparing to go for it on fourth down a lot more than they normally would or would game plan for or put packages in play for. And so that tells me a couple things. One, it tells me that my gut instinct of being scared to death about the kicking situations is spot on because the staff's worried about it too. So that's not just John being dramatic. Everybody knows my special teams freakouts. It's like major league pitchers walking, guys. No patience for it. No excuse for it. You're dead to me. Okay, that's what I say about any major league pitcher making millions who can't throw the ball over the plate. You're dead to me. I have no patience for it. None. So it tells me that I'm just not being oversensitive to this issue that is a pet peeve of mine and that I'm concerned could lose us an extra game more than whatever the number is going to be this year we're going to lose. I'm worried that you might be able to add one onto it because of special teams. Let's see how this plays out this year. And we'll see if there's a game where on the post game, I'm going nuts, losing my mind because of a shanked punt, a blocked punt. We give up a touchdown on a dumb return. Okay, we miss three field goals and then lose by eight points. And you could have had nine on the board. Okay, this kind of stuff that I have no patience for. That's unacceptable at this level. If these people have access to the coaching staff and they're alluding to these beat writers and these reporters that they're considering doing this too, that tells me they think they got a problem too. Because usually what you hear this time of the year is all sunshine and rainbows and everything's looking up. Everybody's doing good. We're encouraged by what we see. We're not hearing that about this situation. The staff is even concerned and already making plans to go for it more on fourth down. Now, that's only one half of the discussion. Here's the other half. Here's the other half. Let me run this by you. And this struck me, as, where was I? I was driving to the golf course yesterday morning. It's my favorite thing to do. It's the most peaceful hour of my day is at 6.30, 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning, driving out in the country, getting ready to play golf. That is so peaceful. Cornfields, woods, state parks I'm driving to to get to this the golf course I play every Sunday morning. And there's just no traffic and it's just peaceful. The sun's coming up. I get some clarity, man. I start thinking about things. And this hit me. Everybody knows the numbers of going forward on the percentages of successful fourth down conversions, generally speaking, is not that high. It's a very hard thing to do to convert on fourth down, okay? It just is, and especially depending on where you are on the field. But here's my angle. A lot of these fourth down conversions, it's like, you know, we got stonewalled on third down. Now we're going for it on fourth. You know, we had a guy open and we overthrew him on third down, and it wasn't really what we planned for. We're on the fringe of field goal range, and we're going to decide to go for it, Okay. And the percentages of converting those are pretty low. Here's what I'm going to say. I would contend 
that if you go into a series knowing you're at a risky part of the field, like the 37-yard line going in or somewhere fringe borderline for uh, most decent kickers, if you're going into a series knowing you're going to go for it on fourth down, I would contend that your conversion rate then should go way up because when you get to third down and eight or third down and five or third and 12, whatever situation you're in, if you already know in your mind that you're going to go for it, then you have really two plays to get it on fourth down because you can play call knowing you're going to have two more downs to do it. I think that's vastly different than just doing whatever you were going to do on third down and now you're in fourth down, you have a decision to make. Does that make sense? So I think if you go into it knowing you got four plays instead of three to get a first down, you can adjust your play calling for that series to put you in a better position to convert on fourth down. And I think your percentages will increase that. So I'm totally fine with this because here's how you got to look at it. Who do you trust more? Some kicker that you've never seen play before or Ian Book with the football? Who do you trust? I'm going to trust Ian Book to make a good decision. And you know what else too? Ian Book can do it with his arm or his legs. I'm picturing these fourth downs where he rolls out, buys a little time, people go down the field, the defense goes with them, and then he runs third and four, and he get, he runs to the sideline, gets five yards out of bounds, first down. I could see that happening a bunch this year. So when we get into those situations, I would much rather trust our ultra-accurate and smart quarterback in what should be a fourth and manageable situation more than I trust some kicker I've never seen before, and every single report out there says that he's a head case and he is not to be trusted. That's not me making it up. That's the report from every single beat writer who's seen the kid kick. They all say he's got the biggest leg in the country, but no confidence is in a head case and, and is super inconsistent. Okay? So that's my position on these four downs. If you go into it knowing you're going to have two plays on third and fourth down, you can divide that yardage up and look at it that way. It's a totally different way to look at that situation than just thinking about going for fourth down when it hits. Let yourself plan for it, and you have more flexibility. I like that. I can live with that. I would rather go down with Ian Book than some nerd kicker I've never seen. Any day. Any day. I would rather go down being reasonably aggressive than passive and putting a kid in a situation he's not confident where he could convert and it puts the team in a bad position or, God forbid, loses us ball games. All right, we ran just about an hour and I'm not even halfway through my bullet points, so I guess those will all be on the show when I come back from Florida. I knew I was going to talk too much to get through it all, which is fine. Okay, time for a new Always Annoyed segment. This is very simple, it's very straightforward, but it is an is a social situation that I run into, I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, I would say multiple times a week in my weekly routine, I run into this problem 
It's really annoying. It's totally unacceptable. It's socially rude. It's socially ignorant. Uh, and, and so here's what I'm talking about. For my job, I have multiple office locations and properties I need to be at at any given hour, any given day in different towns to meet with people, problem solve, do a business deal, whatever it is. So I got all these locations and I go where I'm needed. I go where the problem is. I go whatever. Okay. So I am driving often between these locations and appointments. At any given time, I might need to refuel my vehicle. I might want to run into a gas station and get a cup of coffee to give me a little afternoon jolt. Okay, something like that. So I'm talking about primarily during busy work hours, during, you know, the lunchtime where people are driving all over trying to squeeze in a little errand in their, their lunch break, that kind of thing. Okay, multiple times a week, I'm in a hurry. I want to just hop in and grab a, a, yeah, if you're at the pump and you're just getting gas, you can pay for it with a credit card. You never have to go in. You don't have to see anybody or talk to anybody and leave. That is ideal. That is ideal because you don't have to talk to anybody, wait in any lines, deal with any tomfoolery. You could just pay and leave. Okay. But a lot of times I want to grab a granola bar because I'm on the road. Grab a coffee, you know, some, geez, grab a pack of gum. I don't know. So I have to go into the gas station to, to pay for these items. Now, most of these people, especially during the work week around the lunchtime hour when people are running these type of errands, and I am too, people are in a hurry. They're busy. They're business people. They're working. They're blue collar workers on their lunch break from roofing or pipe fitting or whatever. And they're looking all sweaty and dirty and they just want to go get a cold Gatorade, okay, and then get back to work. These are people who are lawyers or whatever, and they're, they're on their break. How many times do I want to go in and just pay for my gas and a coffee and a granola bar or whatever? And there's only one line open at the register. Of course, there's two or three registers there, but they're never open when I'm there. They're never open. Whenever I'm at a gas station, there's two or three registers, only one's open. So that's a guarantee. I can't tell you the last time I went to a gas station in one of these towns and there's more than one station open, okay? So that's the first thing, especially during your peak hours. But sure enough, I'm in a hurry. I only have 15 minutes. I want to go in there and just pay real quick. I'll be out of there in 30 seconds. What's in front of me in line? The lottery ticket person. It's always the lottery ticket person. Always. Now, here's the thing about lottery ticket guy. Now, I am not trying to be elitist. I am not trying to downgrade anybody. I'm not trying to look down on anyone. I'm just stating the plain facts without fail. The lottery ticket person ahead of me in line always looks homeless or borderline homeless without fail. I never see Mr. Business Suit Guy up there saying, I need 17 pick fours with my wife's birthday reversed three times. 
I need four of them. One seven nine eight three eighty four. No, that's not her birthday. It's seven three two forty seven. And I need six of these, four of those. I want to scratch off this one here. I won two dollars last week, and I want that registered in now so I can spend the two dollars on that. Wait, which one is this? No, I don't want that one. I want the other one. No, if you ain't got the right one, I want the crossword puzzle one with the leprechaun on it. Now, give me three of these. Why am I behind this person every single time I go to a gas station? Why? And it's never someone who looks like they have the money to be paying for lottery tickets. They're always in ripped sweat sweatpants and a dirty stained t-shirt with ripped up flip-flops. That's always someone who looks like they just crawled out of a gutter. And I'm sorry. I'm not trying to judge it. I'm just saying that's who it is. Always. I never see somebody who's put together buying lottery tickets. They always look like their life's in shambles. Why aren't regular people buying lottery tickets? So I'm standing there buying this person. This happens at least twice or three times a week. And I'm getting annoyed, okay? And then they just keep going. Can you register this ticket? I thought I had a winner on this one. Can you scan it? Okay? They're looking. It's, it's multiple problems. One is they're trying to do the ones where you get to pick your own number. So then they're telling the poor girl behind the counter, and then I want 10 of the Mega Million, 743-248-73 on one, 874. They're giving all these numbers. They're getting them wrong. They have this magical formula that's never going to work. Okay, that's one problem is how long that process takes. The other problem is they got this big case now of all the scratch-offs. And they have numbers on them. And then they're going, the worker's going, well, which one, how many of which one do you want? Well, wait a second. How much money do I got? $22. Well, then I'll take two of the number fours, four of the number threes, two of the number sevens, four of the number eights. No, no, no. Give me two of these. No, that's the wrong one. Okay, they're going on and on and on. In the meantime, a dozen hardworking people who just want to get something to eat and go back to work have to stand there and wait for this entire stupid dialogue. I have no patience for it at all. It's a flawed system. There should be an entire separate wing for all the lottery crap. So that regular people who just want to pay for a Coke and a granola bar can get in and out and go back to work. Okay, so, so these people are totally clueless. They're either oblivious that an eight-person line of frustrated people's behind them, or they just don't care. They just don't care. They have no social nuance, and they think it's socially appropriate to take 20 minutes to pick out their lucky numbers and make everybody else wait in line. At like noon on a Tuesday when it's really busy and everybody just wants to grab one thing, pay, and go back to their hardworking job. I got a problem with this. It's not right. It's not right. So the, here's the flip side of this. It's one thing for the person doing it to not care they're holding up the line, 
to know they're holding up the line. Here's the other thing. If it was me and I knew that what I needed to do for this lottery addiction I have that's never going to pay off and is probably a part of the reason I'm in ripped up sweatpants and dirty stained t-shirt in the first place. If I knew that and then I saw people lining up behind me, I would be socially aware enough to say, you know what, I I'm going to step to the side, take care of these people, tell the lady at the counter. Take care of these people and I'll come back in a few minutes when when there's not a big line I'm holding up because I would know what I'm asking for is going to take 20 minutes and what all these people do combined isn't going to take 20 minutes. That would be the socially appropriate thing to do. So that's number one. So these people's decorum is all messed up. They're either too dumb to be aware they're causing a problem or too dumb and selfish to know it and do the socially correct thing and step aside and let people whose transaction takes one minute go so they could go on with their day. That's the first part of this. Now, take it a step further. All of the responsibility for this problem does not fall on that person. Some of it falls on the worker. If I'm working at the counter and I have some idiot taking 17 minutes to pick lottery tickets and I see nine people who are obviously annoyed behind them in line, you need to say, sir, you're going to have to step aside for five minutes because we got a big line of people that are going to be fast. Could you step aside? Because what you need is going to take longer and I'm going to take care of these people first. What's wrong with that? Why don't they say that? Why don't they say that? You're telling me they don't have the power to say that? I would think that I would care if all these customers are giving me dirty looks because they're all annoyed. It would be in your benefit too as the gas station employee to find a way to move things along. So a part of it's on them too for not saying to these people, you need to step aside and let some quicker customers go through, buddy. And here's the other thing. I mentioned there's almost always another register that's like not open. So you got nine people and the lottery moron in the front of it. One checker outer. And then you got this other register that's closed. But there's some moron stocking the shelves with snicker bars one row over. Why don't you see that there's 10 people in line and there's a problem and go open that register. The snicker bars can wait. I've never understood that. You're on duty. You're working. You see there's a big backup. Why can't you quit stocking the Gatorade and then go help your fellow colleague out and open the other register and, and at least half the people can move into that line? Why does that not happen? Why? These are the little things that drive me crazy, that make my hair fall out. These little frustrations. I'm standing there in this line for 12 minutes while this hillbilly tries to figure out his lucky numbers. And this lady's stacking snicker bars in the thing instead of opening the other register. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. This is just this lack of efficiency with basic stuff is what drives me insane. 
And this is a perfect example. It happens everywhere. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but all these lottery people kind of fit into the same mold. I've never seen one that looks like they have their shit together in their life. They just all look so raggedy and just like totally out of, just totally out of whack of just like what modern actual society is like. Just totally disconnected and in their own world with no social awareness or nuance about them at all. At all. And it, I can't take it. So I just, where's the efficiency in this system? Something's messed up. They need a whole separate wing for these stupid lottery situations. Why do I always end up right behind the guy? If I was five minutes earlier, I could have been in and out, but no. I'm buying the guy with 26 of those stupid papers that the girls got to register. Oh, you want a dollar here, a dollar there. You lost, you know, 400, but you won $2 and then you say you won, right? The mentality of the lottery thing that I don't understand. If you spent 400 and won 200, you didn't win 200, you lost 200. Come on. I don't get it. I don't get it. And it bothers me. I, two times a week this happens to me. It, it just does. It's always the same exact story. I have no patience for it. So let me know if this happens to you. Is it just me? Is it just John has bad luck or what? But it just, it keeps happening to the point where I can't take it anymore. And I just want to say to these people, can you step aside? Please step aside. You're holding up the whole operation. Okay, well, that, that's it. That's the always annoyed this week. To, I, I, maybe I'm the only one who has this problem, but it follows me around wherever I go. It, and it's this, always the slowest pe The people, they walk slow. They talk slow. There's just some magic demographic that's built in for these type of people. And everything about them annoys John is basically what it comes down to. Just once I want to see some lawyer in his sharp-looking suit buying these lottery tickets, but it never, ever is that person. Ever! I don't get it. All right. I'm done yelling for the day. This is it. Uh, I promise. And so enjoy this show. We're going to be off next week, but look up Bruce's podcast that I joined Okay, it's called The Format. Bruce is down in Jacksonville, and he works for a radio station, and he's doing some cool stuff down there. We connected. If you need a fill of this show, God help you. You got problems. If you need me every week yelling about things, you might have issues too. But save the Bruce one and listen to it next week, and that'll give you an hour of Always Irish. And then when I get back, we'll be, into, we'll be right before football starts. We'll get camp going, and then it's serious. And, and then it's real talk from then on for about the next four or five months. All righty, that's it. We'll see you on Twitter. Take care.